Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Justin. Well, good morning. And uh, welcome to our mission family here on this day. I tell you, it is never easy as a church planter uh, when you're, you know, well, two things. When you're married to a teacher, you always know what the weather is. And, um, you know, so we've been wondering for the last five days if they would be off tomorrow. And they keep moving up the weather forecast. It wasn't supposed to come till this afternoon. And then by last night they were saying, man, you're going to wake up and it's going to be two feet. Okay, it may just be a heavy frost. But either way, you wake up and everything is fine when you get up out of the bed. And then you start heading to church pulling a trailer. And it starts snowing. And, uh, and so you get here and you're like, man, what should we do? And, uh, and so I'm thankful that God has seemingly kind of held off the weather a little bit while we gather here this morning. But thank you. And if you're a first-time guest, thank you for coming to visit our family here at Mission uh, this morning. We are truly glad that you have come to be with us uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5 is where we're going to be camping out for a little while this morning. If you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read two passages uh, today, uh, but we're actually going to cover the second one in in a few weeks uh, to come um, because Jesus picks it back up and it'll all work better that way for us. Um, But it says this in Matthew chapter 5. This is the words of God. It says this in verse 5. Of chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray one more time this morning. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as Pastor Justin prayed, we pray, God, that it would not just be the transfer of information or the agreeance with some philosophy or some religion or some way of life, but Lord Jesus, that there would truly be transformation of the hearts of the speaker and of the listeners that is here today. And Lord, we know and trust that that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we just pray that you do your work and that we would sit back and trust and wait upon you, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, today, we continue this sermon series called King and Kingdom as we're kind of working line by line, verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, in doing so, I've come to the most significant, the most important sermon that has ever been spoken, the, the the lasting sermon or a very long sermon that Jesus spoke that we have titled called the Sermon on the Mount. But in, specifically, it's kind of like the inauguration. It's like the, the state of the kingdom of dress, to kind of use some terminology that we're used to, that Jesus has kind of been preaching this idea of repentance for the kingdom of, at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. And now, as he has healed people, as he has cast out demons because he carries authority, because he is the king of kings, now, as this crowd has gathered, Jesus has compassion on them. He looks upon them, walks up to the side of a mountain and begins to preach, not just simply to the masses, but specifically begins to preach to his disciples. And in doing this, Jesus delivers this message 
um, that we only have about three chapters worth. It probably takes two minutes to read, but again, it's believed that this sermon probably lasted all day long. But Jesus is delivering this sermon to his followers, a sermon of encouragement and great hope. As Jews, they would have believed that it was their responsibility to earn God's approval or simply had his approval because they were ethnic Jews. But Jesus begins to deliver this message um, as they were expecting their Messiah to be uh, a, a military king, a commander-in-chief to overthrow Rome and its oppressors. Jesus does something strangely different. So if this is your expectation and you've gathered to hear your new king and you're expecting this kind of military plan, he's going to tell you how we're going to carpet bomb. That's a phrase we love using in media right now. Uh, carpet bomb the Romans and, and use military force and might. And then all of a sudden Jesus sits down and begins to speak a very different message. Jesus at the beginning of this ministry, begins to, to reveal God's redemptive plan. And explaining this to them, uh, very quickly tells them as followers, his true disciples, that they are blessed, that they are approved by God. Not based upon what they have done, but ultimately by his grace, they are going to be or are approved. And if you're approved, then you are citizens in God's kingdom. But this kingdom is not a military um, type of kingdom. It is not an oppressing kingdom. It is very, very different from what they were expecting. Jesus' kingdom and his economy are very countercultural. The Beatitudes um, would have removed the weight and burden of legalism and religiosity from its listeners, those true disciples. See, Jesus is looking at these folks who were expecting something totally different and says, man, you are approved because of me. And because of me, I'm going to show you a very new way to live. See, with Jesus, the way to truly go upward is downward. We see that over and over and over within the Gospels. And the Beatitudes specifically um, have a tendency to not only illustrate that, but to show us that and to, to build upon those truths. Imagine if you were expecting your commander-in-chief to say, okay, we're going to drop bombs, we got Patriot missiles, we got these you know, drones that we're going to fly over Rome. And all of a sudden he says, no, this is the way that it's really going to happen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or like what we're going to focus on specifically today, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. See, this is extremely, extremely different. Poor in spirit, the understanding and acknowledging that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we are totally depraved, that we have no ability left to ourselves to get to God, to even seek God, and yet God shows up on the scene and, and God, through his grace, reveals our true wretchedness, the pit that we are in. Our true nature is found in the words of Jesus as we lay bare now before him, realizing the depths of our sin. As we bow before God as beggars, being poor in spirit, with a, asking for God to graciously show kindness and mercy to that, Jesus says to those people, they 
are blessed. And beggars, we bow before God. Our, our sin contrasted with his glory. And we mourn over our sin. And yet, he says, those people, those are the people that will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those are the people who will dwell with me in all of eternity. There will not be one person in heaven, ladies and gentlemen, who has not come to a place of deep grief over their sin, past, present, and future. Man, I, I love this statement. Maybe you saw it this week online from uh, Tim Chalice, but he, he says this. He quotes Sinclair Ferguson when he says this, and I think this is kind of the, the context of the Beatitudes. It is misleading to say that God accepts us the way that we are. Rather, that he accepts us despite the way that we are. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a huge influence in my life, says this, A man can never be meek unless he is poor in spirit. A man can never be meek unless he has seen himself as a vile sinner. These others must come first. So there's this kind of stepping stones following from those first two. That blessed are the poor. Blessed are me. Approved am I when I have been graced to the understanding that I think, dwell, and live left to myself on evil, sin, Satan, and death continually. But God approves those in that revelation when I begin to mourn over those sins as well. This is the core of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus knowing the fullness of who you are. See, none of us think we're as bad as we think we are, right? And Jesus knows that we're even much worse. And yet, despite knowing everything about us, every sickened thought, Every desire of your nature, every lust of your heart, Jesus knows those very things. And despite of those things, says, approved through me, the kingdom of God is for those people. The rest of the Beatitudes, as it builds on this idea, is that we begin to see God for who he is. We see ourselves. And knowing this, Begs the question as we go further, then how do we respond to God? How do we respond to ourselves and ultimately uh, as well, how do we respond to others? This is the question that we're going to begin answering today and in the next couple of weeks. He starts out by saying, blessed or blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The term blessed there again, we worked through it last week, and you go ahead and listen to the sermon if you missed that. And we, we kind of translate the meaning that, that, again, that Jesus is saying that they are approved. It appears as though Jesus is quoting from Psalm chapter 37 in this passage. And if you remember when we kicked off this sermon, one of the major things that Matthew is going to do in his gospel is show you over and over and over again that Jesus is the Messiah that was foretold throughout the Old Testament. So brother is constantly slain scripture from the Old Testament and Jesus is constantly quoting these truths from the Old Testament so Jesus begins quoting these passages and in that you will find the word meekness you will find inherits the kingdom inherits heaven all of those things it's a great passage for you to study alongside of this the, the major question is what is meekness right I mean is that a characteristic that you use a lot in your house? I mean, you work with a guy in the cubicle next to you and you're like, 
Man, that brother right there, Adam York, he's meek. I mean, people would look at you strangely, probably, if you looked at it. And there's some difficulty for us to translate even that term meek. Even some of the, I think it's the New Living Translation, translates it to be humble, which is, it's not a bad translation. It can also mean gentle for us. And uh, I, I can't imagine anybody saying, yeah, Adam York is gentle, right? Have you ever been hugged by the man? It's like a grizzly bear's gotten a hold of you, all right? And, and, and yet, this is the term that we see here in this passage. Approved, blessed, are the meek. And so let's, let's work on defining this, and we're going to try to illustrate this in several different ways here this morning. In classical Greek, it was used to describe a tame or gentle animal. All right? Uh, an unbroken colt was useless. So it was a colt that was tamed. It was a meek cult. It was a soothing medicine. Medicine that was too strong would harm one. It would not cure them. So it was taken. It was meek. It was a mild or a soft word. It was a gentle voice. Not um, that it wasn't able to speak truth, but it was able to do so gently. It's like a gentle breeze. Wind left to itself or, or wind on the high seas as it begins to blow with great fierce is different than a wind that is a gentle breeze. The idea of meekness is this, this understanding that it is something with great power. Great power. And yet it's controlled. right? Isn't this all the Avenger movies right now? There's this box out there, and if you're bad and you get it, you're going to destroy all of humanity. But you've got to keep the power, what, in the box. It's not that it's unpowerful, but it's meek because it has been placed within some sort of boundaries. It has some sort of confinement. This is the idea of Superman, right? Superman, Batman, that whole movie that's coming out, I don't understand it. Because Superman is an alien, Batman is a human. One shoots laser out of his eyes, and one doesn't, right? It doesn't make sense, but in the end, they'll make it work, I guess. But we see this idea that even in these stories, they've all picked them up from the gospel. This idea of a person who has great power, but with great power comes what? Great responsibility. So being meek is a person, it is an attitude, it is a characteristic, it is a a, a trait that has been imputed to us that is something that is of great power, yet it has restraints placed upon it. Notice, Jesus does not say the strong, aggressive, self-seeking, harsh, always has an opinion, always must have their way, always right, bossy, controlling person will inherit the earth. That's not what he says. Yet that's pretty much what we're encouraged to be like in our culture, is to be that way. And Jesus says it is not that person. It is the meek. It is the humble. It is the gentle. It is those who have great strength, yet are constrained, have self-discipline and self-control. 
I've got about five or six points here, and every time I give a list like that, I'm always afraid because I spend like two hours on the first two, and then I don't have anything to say about the last ones, all right? So I understand that the snow apocalypse is believing to be coming this morning, so I'm going to kind of push probably faster than I normally would through this this morning, and so we can talk about it on Wednesday night more in depth on our uh, missional communities. So point number one that we've got to understand in understanding this idea of meekness, and this is at the crux of, of what it means to understand meekness, is this. Meekness is not biological. All right? Meekness is not biological. It's supernatural. See, being humble and gentle and being meek, it, it, it's not shyness or a person that has a withdrawn personality. We're not talking about being an introvert here, all right? This isn't like God is saying, okay, everybody who follows me is truly an introvert. That would be sad. Could you imagine going to a party just with nothing but introverts? Get in the car, man, that's the best party I've ever been to. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? But yet we see this picture here that is, it's not something biological. It's not reduced to niceness. Man, nice people will, will split, and they'll use the good, you know, preacher evangelistic from like 1980s, will, will split the gates of hell wide open. Hell will be filled with nice people. Okay, so this isn't something biological. It's not just a personality trait. It's not something that you can just be born with. It is something that you must be reborn with. This is the working of the Holy Spirit. This is, again, it's something that has been graced to followers of Jesus. It is something that has been given to us. Meekness is the ability for God to take a rough, redneck, you know, rebellious person, harsh mean, mad, angry, self-satisfying you know, person and turn them into a person that is, uh, is able to be gentle and humble and for others and for God above being for themselves. So it's not something you can be born with. All right, We have this tendency to believe that all nice people go to heaven. It's not the gospel. Right? You can be born nice. All right? But you cannot be born meek. A meek person is one who is powerful, yet their power is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Get this. There's nothing more powerful than the Holy Spirit. There's nothing more powerful than God. And, and the Bible tells us that we are the temples of that Holy Spirit, that it, it dwells inside of us. The, the same power that resurrected our Lord Jesus from the tomb is the same power that rests inside of each one of us who have truly been saved by this man named Jesus. And so meekness is having great, great power. Yet it's not under our control. It is under the control of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. Point number two, meekness allows us to absorb life's punches without being defensive or seeking vengeance. Meekness allows us to absorb life's punches without being defensive or seeking vengeance. See, meekness allows the possessor of it to to be free to forgive those who do not deserve forgiveness. And that's something to learn. 
True meekness allows us not to be bitter. It, it allows us not to have a desire to seek revenge. And I don't know about you, but I want all of those things. I, I, I want to be unforgiving toward people. I want to, if you do me wrong, I, I want to be bitter toward you. And I want to hold on to that. I want to seek revenge. Like, I won't burn down your house, but I'll pray for lightning to hit it. Right? I'll be thinking it. Right? I mean, you're driving down the road, oh God, get them. I'm not going to get them, but I want you, God, to get them. Again, this is a long quote, I apologize, but it's so good. From Dr. Martin, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, listen to this. The mink man is not proud of himself. He does not have any sense of glory in himself. He feels that there is nothing in himself of which he can boast. It means that he does not assert himself. He does not make demands for his position, his privileges, his possessions, his statues, status in life. The man who is meek is, is not even sensitive about himself. May I want to amen that point? He is not always watching himself and his own interest. He is not always on the defensive. We spend the, the a whole of our lives watching ourselves. But when a man becomes meek, he has finished with all of that. He no longer worries about himself and what other people say. To be truly meek means we no longer protect ourselves because we believe there is nothing worth defending. So we are not... On the defensive, all that is gone. The man who is truly meek never pities himself. He is never sorry for himself. He never talks to himself and says, you are having a hard time. How unkind these people are not to understand you. It's like this dude is digging in my email, living at my house. He never thinks how wonderful I really am. If only other people gave me a chance. Self-pity. What hours and years we waste in this. But the man who has become meek has finished with all of that. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether. You come to see that you have no rights or, or, or anything at all. You come to realize that no one, nobody can harm you. John Bunyan puts it perfectly. He that is down need fear no fall. When a man truly sees himself, he, all the more, a person who is of the type that I have been describing, must of necessity be mild. Think again of the examples. Think again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mild, gentle, lowly. Those are the terms. But it also means that, that there will be complete absence of the spirit of retaliation. Having our own back or, or seeing that the other person pays for it. It also means, therefore, that we shall be patient and long-suffering, especially when we suffer unjustly. It also means that, that we are ready to listen and to learn, that we have such a poor idea of ourselves and our own capabilities that we are ready to listen to others. Above all, we must be ready to be taught by the Spirit and be led by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Meekness always implies a teachable spirit. It is that we see again in the case of our Lord himself. 
Though he is the second person in the blessed Holy Trinity, he became a man. He deliberately humbled himself to the extent that he was dependent entirely upon what God gave him and what God taught him and what God told him. He humbled himself to that. And that is what it means to be meek. We must be ready to learn and to listen, especially must be able to surrender ourselves to the Spirit. Finally, I put it like this. We are to leave everything, ourselves, our rights, our cause, our whole future in the hands of God. And especially so if we feel we are suffering unjustly. That's meekness. Meekness does not keep records of right and of wrong. It does not return evil with evil. It does not slander those who slanders us. It, it, it doesn't even feel the need to respond like that. How much freedom would be taken up in your day, in your week, in your life if it was not spent thinking poorly or wanting to act poorly toward yourself or toward others. Let's face it, a lot of our mind is rented by sin, Satan, and death, convincing us to feel pity toward ourselves, but also to want to slander others. James 1, 19-21 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I mean, this is God's word. This is this idea of, of meekness. And this dug all over me this week looking at these, looking at my life, evaluating my life, working at my salvation with fear and trembling, all those things that God says in his word that we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus. You know, even meekness when it comes to conflict, meekness is not agreeing to disagree. We love to use that terminology. Well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. That's not the Bible, especially between two Christians. See, um, meekness between two brothers and sisters in Christ is this idea that, okay, we, we don't agree, but both of us are going to pursue the truth. Both of us are going to pursue a greater truth, that, that ultimately we don't have to be right. How freeing is that for us this morning? We don't have to be right. And we don't have to assert our righteousness and our rightness over other individuals. We don't have to fight our own battles. Uh, you know, a deep ability is found in those who are meek. It is the ability to trust God and to wait on God, realizing that it is that God who will fight our battles. A meek person is teachable. They're ready to change. They want to change if it means being more like Jesus. They're ready to confess. They're pliable. When I was in Campus Crusade for Christ, when I became a Christian, 
my Bible study leader, Richard Carwell, used to tell me all the time, and I think this is like some, you know, crude, clichéist term, but I've used it ever since. He's like, man, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, one of the things that you have to realize is you've got to be faithful. We call it fat. Sorry. Um, faithful. You've got to be faithful. You've got to be available. But you've got to be teachable. A meek person is teachable. They're pliable. They're moldable. Number three, meekness welcomes accountability from other believers. Meekness welcomes accountability from other believers. Now, I'm not talking about this weird accountability where it's like, all right, dude, if you look at a bad image on a computer, you got to pay me $10. I'm not talking about that kind of accountability because that gets really weird. Because you just start lying to each other, <laughs> all right? Because you don't want to pay them money, okay? I know that because I had an accountability partner like that, and he never paid me. He's a liar, all right? And I never gave him a dime, all right? <laughs> meekness, true meekness welcomes accountability from other believers. This is one of the valuable things about a missional community group. It's, a, it's another thing about being in relationship, being a family. I don't know how your family works, but our family is the baker side at least. If there's an issue, it is addressed, or we make fun of you and laugh, hoping you will eventually get the drift that we are talking about you. Okay? This is accountability, okay? It is welcoming between believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, not that we're policing each other, but if we truly care about one another, that we are open to uh, people speaking into our very lives when they see things that do not reflect Jesus. Simple things like, man, how's your heart? What was your motive? Man, I heard you say this. I heard you do this. Man, I, I saw this in you, and I'm not accusing you of this, but, man, where was your heart in that? Where's your pride in that? Where, where's your arrogance, Pastor Eric? Eric, when you, when you said this, when you did this, you can be countercultural. Allow your life to be accountable to other people. That's why we believe in church covenant membership. That's why we believe have a high view of it. It's because in that you're saying, man, you keep us as your pastors, as your elders accountable, and we do that to you as well, but we also do it together. We take care of one another. We challenge one another. We sharpen. Iron sharpens iron. That means that there are sparks that have a tendency to fly when you do that. But that is what sharpens. That's what spurs us one and on, uh, each other on in Christ's likeness when we are available and we say to people, hey, man, I want you to speak into my life. Hey, lady, I, I need you to speak into my life. Hey, girl, I need you to tell me if my... Paints are showing a little bit too much. Because I want to make sure that I'm being careful with my brother's eyes. But you're being willing to do that. Because what's the culture say? 
If you ask somebody some question like that, what is their typical response? Well, 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 Kim Kardashian wears less. Right? Or you, 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 you thinking, <laughs> what can I say back? Right? What dig can I get back? You're not even listening to what your brother and sister are saying to you. You're just simply thinking of all the ways you are justified in doing what you're doing. And even if you verbally don't say it back, the issues in their lives. See, we live in a culture that doesn't want accountability. And yet the gospel calls us in meekness to be accountable. You know, I think there's another aspect of that. As believers, did you know that we should be able to celebrate other people? Celebrate other people is a part of being able to be meek as a follower of Jesus. Like every summer when people start posting for some reason their kneecaps and their ankles in front of a beach, which I think is really weird, there is a piece of me that goes, mmm, must be nice down that beach, right? Somebody posts on Facebook, social media, look at my new car, especially if it's a Jeep jacked up back winds. Someone owns one of these things that I lust over every time they drive to church. Somebody in this area, right? So I don't go out that way. It causes me to stumble. I'm like, all right? We see these sorts of things. We, we live in a culture, man. We hear about another church. I love what J.D. Greer says, right? You pray as a pastor for revival, and, and God spoke to him one day, or he felt impressed by the Holy Spirit. He said, man, I was praying for revival, and I said, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, okay, J.D., what if I bring revival to your city, but I use another church to do it? Will you celebrate with them, or are you just going to critique them, you know? We celebrate the good in people. We celebrate those things. Number four, meekness is not weakness. <laughs> Rhymes. I think every commentary that I read this week, that was in there. All right? You've got to understand that, that, that meekness is not weakness. One of my favorite books for dudes is a book by Stu Weber. If you've not read it, I encourage you to read it if you're, you're guys in this room. It's called Tender Warrior. Richard Carwell handed it to me when I was a college student, and I, I just love that book. It started to shape in me what it meant to be a godly man. This book, Tender Warrior, paints a picture of a, of a man. Now, this understanding, this is the way that I view it, is a, is a guy that can wield a sword. All right? So even, like, if all of us, the dude, like the little guys resting in all the men that are in here, all of us wish that we could use a weapon. All right? There's just something about, you know, being able, if you're the, I mean, know nothing about, any of those sorts of arts or anything, just there's something probably within every one of us that just wishes like you could whip out a sword and like really do it, <laughs> right? Or if you're shooting guns with your buddies, there's just something about the smell of artillery that I enjoy. I know that's weird, okay, but there's just something a a about this, but it, it paints this picture of this manly man, this powerful Strong man. He is a warrior. He can wield a sword, yet he can 
hold and feed a baby. Meekness paints a picture of that. That he's extremely strong. That she is extremely strong. She is a walking paradox of strength and fortitude and trust in God. And that is illustrated as well in the ability to care for those who are weak. See, meekness is not saying that you never get in conflict. Meekness is not saying that you don't ever get in a fight. Meekness and being a tender warrior in that is it has the ability to, to know when to fight and what is worthy of fighting over and knowing when not to. Do you get that? It's, it's knowing when to use the sword. Contrasted when you know when it's to be silent. I mean, in the age of the internet and social media, we call it internet trolling, right? Someone makes some typically lame comment, all right? And, and I want you to be careful. I know that we're in a political season. You need to be careful what you say. And also, you, you need to realize that when we say certain things and people respond and they disagree with us, what were you expecting them to do? <laughs> all right? I mean, but people make fortunes and spend all day long just getting into arguments on people online. How weak is that? That's not gospel. Being meek has the ability of knowing things to fight over and things not to fight over. It, it, it shows no need, and being meek um, has, doesn't have a desire just to relay cynical remarks or to be sarcastic or to argue for the sake of arguing. Please understand this. There are things as believers that we must be willing to fight over. The spreading of the gospel. We must fight for that, right? Abortion, something that we must fight against. It is a gospel issue. It is not just a political issue or a philosophical issue. It is a gospel issue. Uh, racial reconciliation, this is a gospel issue. It is something that we must fight over. But there are lots of things that form in that list that we should fight for, but there are even more things that whether that's in our home or with our children or with coworkers or with friends or with people in church that we are fighting and bickering over that are not centered in the gospel. And I believe that meekness, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would encourage us not to get in those battles. Paul, in one of his letters, writes that a good soldier does not get involved in what? Civilian problems. You've got to know a meek person by the power of the Holy Spirit knows which one to engage in and which one to back away from. If we do get into conflict, our desire is to seek patiently and desire for a godly outcome. Meekness is, is, is knowing when to exert that power. One who is meek does not have to defend himself but will run to the defense of others. 
In essence, if you're getting bullied, because you are so trusting in God, you can absorb the words of the bully. But if you see another being bullied, you run to their defense. It's meekness. Those who are lame, those who are hurt, those who are sick, we fight for those. Meekness is not coward, being a coward. It is not emotional flabbiness. It is not a lack of conviction or complacency. It's not being just timid or, or willing to seek peace at all costs. Let us not understand this. I don't care what political people tell you. The, the idea of the gospel is, is that it is going to cause both some to be drawn to it and it is going to cause others to be separated from it, which in turn is going to cause conflict between people. But let it be the gospel that does that. Meekness does not suggest indecisiveness or being wishy-washy or the lack of confidence. Meekness rejects passivity. Meekness implies submission to God that is not passive submission that shrugs its shoulders and just says, oh, you know, whatever. It is active submission. We pursue God in action, not simply being passive. This morning, we've heard four things, four main points about what it means to be meek. And I don't know about you, but maybe you're sitting there and you're asking yourself this question. Well, well Pastor Eric, or I'll just ask us, well, what do we do if we've blown all of this? What if we do if we hear all of this and... It's like really getting at us this morning. It's really digging into not just maybe my interactions with other people, but it is digging in the way that I think about myself and the way that I want to respond. You know, that's really tough for those of us who are quick-witted. Because if you attempt to cut us, we must hold back what we could truly say. our natural tendency someone speaks we've all seen this right schoolyard some kids being made fun of if you're the kid that's being made fun of you've got a few options here but t typically you choose the option is okay I'm gonna look in the crowd <laughs> and I'm gonna figure out another person that I can embarrass more than I'm being embarrassed why to take the attention off of us and to place it on them, man, that is not meekness. So what do we do if we've blown it? If you're going to be a part of mission, you have to realize really quick that we are pastors who in no way try to pretend like we have it all together. And I'm about to tell you a story, not because I did this so I would have a sermon illustration. I'm actually quite embarrassed with what I'm about to tell you. But I feel that I would be wrong and a poor brother in Christ without laying bare before you. So on Wednesday, I go to my office. Y'all call it Spencer's. I call it Eric's. 
They made me coffee. I work a lot in coffee shops in town because I have an office at my house. And I'm in Spencer's, and I am working through this passage. You know, looks like a library on my table. Drinking my white mocha that Justin made me. Delicioso. It's so good. It's beautiful. They got, you know, I'm just waiting for them to put cross on the, top, the phone on top of me. They're making flowers and everything else. I got a heart this week, I guess, for Valentine's Day. I mean, I don't know. It's beautiful. I'm having this great spiritual moment at my table that Rustic Nail Company made. My spot, I can sit at the same table every time. Enjoying this, studying this idea of meekness. Wrestling with this word of being humble and gentle and not self-serving. And not about self-pity and, and, and thinking, man, I deserve more. And wrestling through all of those things. And man, I'm just having this great time. I hope God is resting and visiting with me in this moment. I'm taking down notes, looking at all this stuff. And then... I, I go to my car, and I have to go to Walmart, which is like visiting hell for a few minutes. And so I'm going to Walmart, and I'm having some problems with my exploder outside, my Ford exploder. And I'm having some transmission issues in it. And so when you press the gas, it, it doesn't really want to take off and go. It's like, you know, the little engine could, all right? We finally get up to speed, but it, it takes time for those gears to shift. And so even when Laura drives, I'm like, don't pull out in front of anybody. Because you're not going to have the power that you're used to. So I'm pulling through this back neighborhood and all these back streets, and I'm going over there close to, to Living Hope, heading over to um, Small House Road area. And there's a car coming over the hill at the light. And, and I could, if I was in a regular car, could have made it. But I couldn't because my transmission is screwed up. Well, there's this college girl behind me, and she's just laying on her horn. I'm like, I can't go, honey. I'm going to die if I do. T-bone, all right? I can't go fast. So this car, and she's just, I see it. It's coming. When they go by, Drive Miss Daisy, I pull on out, do one in, all right? Start heading down Small House Road. I can't go fast. And the speed limit there, I think is like 25, 30 miles per hour. I'm going the speed limit, and man, this girl behind me, she's like going behind me like that, weaving behind me, weaving behind me, and I'm just laying on her horn. I'm like, I can't go any faster. And I'm not going to, because it's the speed limit. She's just, bleh, bleh. by that time, no passing zone. She whips it out in front of me, pulls out, whips it back in front of me, and pulls to the light. And this is what I do. Christian music playing. I'm singing along. I get my phone out, and I hold it toward her car, because we're now stopped at the light. And I start taking pictures of her and her license plate, like that right there, because I have some buddies on the force here in town, and I'm about to call and say that there's a reckless driver that just ran me off the road on Small House Road. And she's, you know, turkey necking, turning around, giving me the eye of which she should have. I'm a big lumberjack-looking dude. I had on these big glasses, a big toboggan, and all of a sudden, there's a dude taking pictures of me behind my vehicle. 
We take a left, going towards family video. She pulls in front of me and slams on her brakes and just starts creeping. And I'm singing like shouts of the Lord or something. I mean, I don't, I don't even what it And I'm just like, and so she goes and pulls over to this lane. So I pull in behind her. She pulls over this way. And we're just, I mean, creeping like five miles per hour down Campbell Lane. And, and I'm smiling and ticked. And singing. And snapping pictures every time she stops. Well, eventually, I go, meekness. I'm like, what am I doing? I pretty much have a breakdown. I didn't hit ugly cry button or anything, but I... Like, I was so embarrassed. And finally, she flips on her hazard lights, and she's like, you know, cuss me, looking out the window. And, and I start going, am I in the seventh grade? <laughs> I'm like, think about this for a minute. 6'2", you know, 185 pounds, pure muscle, that's me. Like, what was I going to do to her? Was I going to run her off the road? Was I going to tell her to get out in the parking lot? Because if I did, what was I going to do? Did I cuss? No. It's just, it's not my thing. I didn't, you know, flip her the international sign for how you doing. I didn't do that. But I was thinking, man, if, what if that was my daughter? And some big burly dude is following her down the road and is snapping pictures of her car. Is that meekness? Well, I was just like, man, I've, like, I've blown it. Like, this is really bad. This is disgusting. Like, I'm so embarrassed. What if I'd have got out and it would have been like Mary back here? You know? You know how bad that would have been? What if she had got out and recognized me? You know, because of the mega church we have here. My face is everywhere. What if she got out and be like, aren't you the preacher down there at Mission? I mean, I mean deep conviction came over me and deep embarrassment came over me because I illustrated nothing of meekness and I had just spent hours studying it and that I would have the ability to be singing praise and worship songs while I am seeking vengeance was extremely scary to me So what do we do if we blow it? This is what I had to remember. This is what I had to come to. 
And I would ask, man, please forgive me as a church body for that. I did not represent Jesus well, and I did not represent you well. Because what you put, on, put online and what you do in this community not only reflects Jesus, but it reflects this family. I had to come to this and be reminded of this. That Jesus is our standard of meekness. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, there's this great picture that John the Revelator paints for us of Jesus. And in that, he contrasts these two images of Jesus. And he says in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, he says that, that Jesus is is the, the lion, that he is the conquering lion. And then the next paragraph states that Jesus is the lamb that was slain. And that the elders and those who have gone before us, the angels, are worshiping the lion, the lamb. And remember that Jesus is, is both of those things. Jesus in true meekness is when you realize that, that you're the most powerful person in the room. Jesus is that. He's, he's the most powerful person in the room. He's the wealthiest. He's the smartest. He knows all and is all. He is God. And yet Jesus held children. Jesus loved his mother. Jesus was a loyal friend. Jesus laid his hands on the sick Jesus laid his hands on dead children. Jesus grieved for cities. Jesus turned over tables and chases people with a whip. And I don't think that Jesus was like just like, you know, get out. I think he, he was filled with righteous anger in that moment because it was the right thing to do. Jesus cries in a garden, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Jesus does not defend himself before Pilate. Jesus, though innocent, takes the place of a criminal, Barabbas. Jesus is beaten violently. Jesus hangs on a cross. Jesus is placed in a borrowed tomb. Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus is returning as a triumphant king. This Jesus is my standard of meekness. First Peter chapter 2 would tell us in verse 18 through 25, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if... When you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our 
souls. So what do we do when we've blown it? We turn to the one who never has. We turn to the perfect illustration of meekness, gentleness, humbleness. The perfect one who is the perfect tender warrior. The one who is both the lion and the lamb. You know, I am ashamed of what I did on that day. But I am also thankful that I realized by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that it was wrong. Because there's nothing scarier than to be turned over to the desires of our hearts and for God to withstand or, or withhold His grace from us. You can read all about that in the book of Romans chapter 1. But it was gracious of him. I was undeserving. But he was gracious. And the Holy Spirit was gracious to me in my, my truck that day to say, you've blown it. Repent and turn to me. May we pray that God would make us meek people. May we sharpen each other as he gifts us with a measure of meekness. May we sharpen that in one another. May we practice that with one another and with also those outside of this family. And when we blow it, seek forgiveness to those whom we have blown it against. And seek forgiveness from Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth, God. And Lord, I do, I just ask for forgiveness. Just, man, if there's ever been a convicting word for me, it has been through the study of meekness and what it means. And so, Lord, I pray that you transform my heart, my mind, my abilities, the fruits of my life. May they reflect who you are. Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord Jesus, that we would seek patience with each other, with ourselves, Lord, that we would not be self-serving in anything that we do. Lord, Whether you, even if it has ministry attached to its title, may my significance, may our significance not be found in ministry or what we do, but may our significance be found only in you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your grace when we do blow it and for the grace that other people show us when we do. So, God, as we just sing some songs and turn our attention and focus as we evaluate during these songs our hearts and our motives, may we confess to you, may we seek you, and Holy Spirit, may you fill us again. We love you. It's in your name we pray and we praise. Amen. Stand with us this morning.